this is how we have trained ourselves to make sure we always come into church. Right? No matter what may be going on um, in our hearts or our minds, in our lives, we make sure that when we come through that door, this is what we're wearing. Right? Big smiley face. You know, we have just gotten through a, a huge argument maybe on the way. We had been yelling at our children uh, the entire morning to make sure that they get ready so we're out the door. We've got to go to church. You better get on here right now. We've got to go worship the Lord. And we, we come in, though, and it's like... Um, you know, we, maybe we had an absolutely horrendous week where we got all the worst news possible every single day. Our world is in shambles. Our heart is a wreck. We come in, though, and you shake the hand, and people say, how are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm great. I'm great. And we all do that. We all have, have come to this, this place culturally where we feel like this is what absolutely is expected all the time and required If you're a believer, if you're part of the church, you better have this in front of you. And we have trained ourselves to apply this especially to areas of intense struggle. Things specifically like depression we're talking about today. Depression. Um, Maybe those of you who struggle with depression... Maybe the reason you keep that smiley face in front of you um, so much of the time is because possibly one or two times you took it down and you tried to actually be real and honest with people about your struggle. And maybe what you heard was, well, you just don't have enough faith. Maybe what you heard was, real Christians shouldn't struggle with something like depression. That's not biblical. That's not something that God allows for people who are truly his. And so you put the smiley face back up really quick, and you determine to never take it down again. Maybe it's, it's because of fear. Maybe it's because people didn't understand what you were really trying to say, and they just weren't helpful. Or maybe it was because your struggle was met with absolute silence. You reached out for help, you reached out for care, you reached out for ministry, but you were met with crickets. Just chirp, chirp, chirp. No one really said anything. No one did anything to care for you. And so you went right on hurting and right on in your darkness. So you just decide, you know what, it's just better for everyone and easier if I just go along with it and play the game. And so I'll just wear this all the time. It's not really true, but I'll wear it. You know, depression is something that millions of people struggle with every day. Millions. Christians included. And the depression that is experienced comes from a variety of different sources and for a variety of different reasons. Maybe it's something that happened as a result of grief. Maybe it's a result of illness And so it just leaves you plagued with this residual depression. Maybe it's something mothers, postpartum depression. Maybe that's something that that you have struggled with or are struggling with. Maybe it's a chemical imbalance. 
It's possible. Maybe it's, it's an actual disorder, something like bipolar. And that one, because it's kind of more on the extreme end, that's where people really get nervous and the shame really comes and, and that desire to put on a big smiley face is usually present because we hear those words and we hear those labels and people tend to maybe look at you a little differently. And they tend to question, is this person even someone to be around? Well, you know, the reality is we're all bipolar spiritually, if we're really honest. If you think about it. We're always up and down spiritually in extremes. We're all dealing with residual traces of sin and self. And specifically in terms of depression, it is so widespread, so prevalent, so common that chances are you either have experienced it and walked through it, you are presently experiencing it, walking through it, struggling with it, or you will. That's just the reality. I mean, that's how pervasive and common it is. And I know from personal experience, because I actually struggle with depression myself. I'm betting you probably didn't know that about me. I mean, it's not like that's how I introduce myself. Hi, I'm Pastor Chris, and I struggle with depression. Just not usually how I go about introducing myself, but it's true. Uh, I struggle with it off and on. Thankfully, it's not like a constant thing, but it is there. It's present in my life. It's kind of that thing that's always lurking in the shadows. You know what I'm talking about if you've struggled the same way. And there are times where it flares up and it, it's rough. There, there have been a couple times specifically in my life that it was incredibly strong in my life and and I was under the weight of it for quite a while, two times in particular. One was associated with the loss of my mom, which was three years ago. One before that was when we were still in Virginia, and the ministry position I had, which I knew God was leading me out of, preparing me to come back here to do church planting, but the position that I was currently in went away much faster than I had planned and faster than I wanted it to, and that left me reeling with anger and bitterness and and depression, debilitating kind of depression. So if you're here and you are experiencing that or have experienced it, I truly know where you're coming from. That's not just lip service. I get it. I feel it. I'm there with you. And what I learned along the way as I have faced this struggle is something that I want to make sure you hear because I really feel it's not heard enough in today's church. I don't feel it's explained enough biblically or looked at in a biblical manner the way it should be most of the time. And so what I want to say to you in regard to this concept and this topic of depression, no matter where you might be in it or no matter how it might characterize you or what level of category you find yourself under in the realm of depression, I want you to hear this. Christian, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be okay. It really is. But we are not meant to stay that way. You tracking with me on that? 
It's okay to not be okay. It really is. Please don't allow the enemy or even other people that may just not get it, it may mean well, but totally miss it, to convince you otherwise. Don't don't allow yourself to be under the unnecessary weight of judgment or hostility because you are dealing with this thing called depression. God's not going to put that weight on you. So don't allow there to be that weight. It's okay to be okay. But in that, you have to remember, all of us have to remember, that we are not meant to stay that way. And the reason why we are not meant to stay that way is because Jesus paid too high a price for our freedom, for our freedom from everything, for us to stay chained to anything other than him. Need you to make sure you hear me on that. Jesus paid too high a price for our freedom. The the cost was his life. For us to stay chained to anything other than him. Because after all, Jesus is the real source of true freedom and joy. We're not going to find it anywhere else. Only, it's kind of backward to our thinking. Only in being freed from the chains of sin and self and, and all the other struggles that we have as, as part of being human, only when we're truly freed from those chains and then chain ourselves to Jesus, only there will we find freedom. And there really is freedom through slavery, but it's not through slavery to anything other than Jesus. And by being a slave of Jesus, we find true freedom. We we find life in its fullest. We find joy. We find peace and hope and fulfillment. And that is available for every single person that's in Christ. So it's okay if if you're dealing with something like depression. It's okay if you're under that struggle. But please know that it's not just the end of the story for you. That in Jesus, moment by moment, every day, there is hope, there is rescue, and there is freedom from even the most hideous of attacks from the hideous monster known as depression and other such struggles. You don't have to stay defeated. David, the man after God's own heart, we know him as that. You know, that's kind of his claim to fame. And we, we looked at David a few weeks ago uh, in our comeback series. David's a great person in, in the Word of God. He's a great character study. I love the person of David. And he was the man after God's own heart. But he was also a man of frequent depression. You read the Psalms, you see it all over the place. I mean, he struggled. He knew what it was like to deal with depression, and other people in the Bible did too, which is why uh, it really doesn't hold water when people say, oh, it's not at all biblical for people to deal with depression. Oh, really? Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, Jonah, maybe not the best example, but it's true. I mean, you could argue even Jesus in his humanity. I mean, the whole sweating drops of blood, that's not like, oh, this is a great day, you know? I mean, that seriously, think of the, the pain and the turmoil that he faced. He was called a man of sorrows, right? But in David, we see really the best example of someone who knew what it was to walk through and deal with and experience depression. The Psalms are, are full of, of his writings about that. And Psalm 13 
is, I believe, the most helpful account of his struggle because it shows us the kind of positive progression that every believer can and should experience in their battle with depression. We see it all in this psalm. We see the the full gambit of, of his struggle, which is something that most of us can identify with, if not all of us. Psalm 13. And in the first two verses, we're going to see David's despair. And that's what depression brings, isn't it? That's, that's usually what goes with it. That's part of, of what depression is. It's, it's despair. And if left unattended, it quickly results in despair. And often that despair mounts and builds. So if you've walked through depression, you certainly can identify with despair and how that feels. And we see that on display here in the first two verses of Psalm 13. David says this, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long will I store up anxious concerns within me, agony in my mind every day? How long will my enemy dominate me? Been there? Yep. Yeah, this is so often how it seems and feels when we're in the midst of depression. I mean, that's, that's textbook right there. But the worst thing that we can do when battling depression is to depend on our feelings. It's the worst thing you can do. Because depression is deceptive. It's very deceptive. And the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, as Jeremiah 17.9 says. So don't follow your heart, okay? That's a very popular message, and it's all kind of warm and fuzzy. Follow your heart. Just follow your heart. No, don't follow your heart. Let the Holy Spirit lead your heart. And you follow his lead. Don't trust your unreliable feelings. Trust your perfectly dependable God. That's the choice that we have to make. That's the perspective shift that we need to allow into our mind and heart. Don't trust your unreliable feelings. Trust your perfectly dependable God. Now, despite how much you may agree with that, and despite how good and right that sounds, natural Honest questions that often get asked when one is going through something like depression. Maybe you here today are asking these exact same questions. Or you certainly have in the past if you aren't right now. Or you will when you battle it. Those questions are are commonly, why would God, who I know is good and I agree with that, why would God allow this in my life? Why would he allow it? How could this possibly work out for my good? 
Romans 8.28 says, All things will work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. And your question, if you're going through something as horrendous as depression, especially in its severe stages, in its extreme states, your question is probably, how in the world could this work out for my good? I want you to know God hears you in that. God understands your question there. David asked the same kind of thing. And he was still a man after his own heart. So don't be afraid of asking those hard questions. Don't be afraid of admitting to God what's on your heart, which he knows is already there. And know that God has very broad shoulders. He can handle your questioning. And the answers, while maybe not perfect and maybe they don't cover every aspect of what's on your heart, but the answers that I have found, and I hope you have as well, and I hope you will if you haven't, are that sometimes God uses a struggle like depression to remind us how desperate we are for him to do what he alone can do. Sometimes God uses a struggle, like depression, to remind us how desperate we are for him to do what he alone can do. Because in the midst of depression, especially when it's severe, it's actually very common to avoid things that we know in our head are are good, beneficial things, things like Bible reading, prayer, fellowship with other believers, you know, coming to church, We know in our head those are good, right things that we should be doing. But when we're under the the weight of depression, when we're in the grip of it, when its claws are in our mind and our heart, it's very, very difficult to do those things. You know that they're right. You know you should be doing it. But it's it's like cement is around your feet. You just can't quite get there. But there comes a point in that usually at our lowest, when we abandon everything else that we've tried, we abandon everything else, and we act on what we already know, which is that God is the only one that can truly rescue and restore us. We know that, but there comes a point where we throw off everything else and we abandon it all and we, we just run to God and we throw ourselves down before him and in desperation we cry, help me. You're the only one who can. I look to you. What? Just take me, please. And we, we just, we throw everything else out and we come fully before him. And we see that in David's experience here too. He goes from despair to desperation in verses three and four. Look what he says. Consider me. And answer, Lord my God, restore brightness to my eyes. In other words, give me, give me a hopeful outlook. Give me a joyful outlook again. Let me see things clearly again, the way that you see them. Restore brightness to my eyes. Otherwise, in, in other words, if this doesn't come from you, if you don't do this, if you don't intervene, God, otherwise I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, 
I have triumphed over him, and my foes will rejoice because I am shaken. Now, David was probably alluding to physical enemies here. Many people think this was written kind of retrospectively as he looked back over when Saul was hunting him down. But even if that were true, if he were thinking of the physical enemies that were around him, certainly the non-physical applies here too. Because if you have battled depression or you have been with people who have battled it or are battling it, you know that depression is a very real enemy. And it's a very powerful foe. And it comes at you and it comes at you and it comes at you. And you do feel as if it's just kind of mocking you while it's doing its work. So this certainly applies. And David, in his desperation, says, God, I have no one else to look to. I have no other source of help. I have to have you intervene in this situation, or I'm hopeless. And I'm helpless. No amount of cute little sayings are going to get me out of this. No amount of well wishes are going to do the work that are, that's needed here. I need you, God, and you alone. That's where we've all got to get to. We've all got to get to that point where we know that there's nothing we can do in ourself. And no matter how other people may want to help and how much they mean well, that there's really nothing they can do either. And no amount of positive thinking is going to just change everything the way it needs to be. Trying harder isn't going to get it. We have to get to that point where we say, you and you alone are my hope, O God. You and you alone are my rescue. Please come to my rescue and and pull me out of this. We've all got to get to that point. Another answer for why would God allow this to happen? Why is he doing this? Why, Why is this being used by him? And how is this being used by him? Another answer might be that the dark periods in our life which depression is certainly one of, that they might be used by God to make us more aware of the light of his glory and grace and to make us more thankful for his faithfulness and to deepen our devotion to him. Because it's in those times, those dark times, where we are desperate for him and and we abandon everything else and we do come to him and it's in those times in our darkness where his light is just even more magnified because of the depth of our darkness. Think Think of how it works when you go into a dark room and all you might have is a little tiny light. Maybe you strike a match, maybe it's the light from your cell phone and as small as that light might be, it just seems like a thousand watt bulb because of the darkness you're in. You follow me? The darker the place, the smaller the light gets magnified. And God's light is never small in any way, shape, or form. So when we're in our darkest and we see God's brilliant, incredible, like a million suns light invading that darkness, we can't help but be fixated then at that point of light. So his light, the light of his glory, the light of his goodness, the light of his grace, just gets magnified in our dark times. And as we we feel the warmth of that light and we allow his light to 
cascade into the, the dark corners of, of our heart and our soul and our mind and what we're experiencing, what should result from that then is that we are just more thankful than we've ever been for his faithfulness. And that then our devotion to him is deeper than it was before. It's in those times that God meets us in the pit we're in, but he doesn't just leave us there. He pulls us up out of it. David understood that too and experienced it. He goes from despair to desperation to then determined devotion. A determined devotion. Verses five and six, he says this. But I have trusted in your faithful love. My heart will rejoice in your deliverance. I will sing to the Lord because he has treated me generously or graciously. You see the determination on David's part there? You see the determination in his mind and his heart, the determination to be devoted to God? This doesn't mean that all the feelings of depression just magically went away. That's not what you see here. Chances are he was still feeling that. He was still experiencing it. But what we see is that the despair that was transitioning over into desperation where he saw God coming in to rescue him, where he started experiencing God's deliverance, that flipped the switch that was needed. And that caused a perspective change to take place and a shift in how he was viewing things. And he was able to be determined because he was trusting in God's sure deliverance. Maybe he wasn't 100% better yet, but he knew God was faithful. And he was experiencing God starting to work in his heart. He was seeing the rescue coming. And he remembered, you know what? I've been here before. This is not new for me. And all the other times where I was in this exact same spot, God came through every time. And I know he'll do the same now. See, part of it is looking back, not just looking where you're at in the present. Part of the cure and the release from such a thing is to look back over the track record that is God's. And his incredible resume of faithfulness. His incredible credentials of coming to your rescue. He does it every time, right? Doesn't he do that in your life? Never once can we say, God, you let me go. Never once can we say, God, where were you? Never once can you say, God, I cried to you. You didn't respond. You've just left me. Never once will we ever be able to say that and level that charge against God. He is always faithful. And his timing is always perfect, even if that means it's maybe, from our perspective, slower than we wanted it to be. It's always perfect. Because he is always perfect. We see that on display with David's attitude here. I have trusted in your faithful love. I've I've trusted in you before. I'm going to trust in you now. And that's going to be fuel for me, motivation for my faith. And I'm going to determine I will rejoice in your deliverance that I know is coming. It's coming and I will rejoice in it. I'm going to start now. I will sing to you because you've already treated me generously and you will continue to treat me generously. That's where we've got to get to, Christian. 
That's the place we've got to be. Because what was true of David in his experience is true for you in every experience. Remember that depression is deceptive. Don't base your identity or your reality on how things seem while you're dealing with it. Stay rooted in who God is, in all he has already done for you, and in what he has made true and unchanging for you. Let that carry you through the storm of depression until it's past. Now, all that you might say, I agree with, Pastor. Man, that sounds great. But how do I actually put this into practice? How do I actually act on that? I mean, that, that's all great. Amen. But what about when I leave here? What about real time? How does this translate into action? Well, I want to provide you with some good strategy that I feel uh, makes a difference. I've seen it in my own life. I, I counsel others in this way. And I really feel that if we will put this into practice and apply this, I think we'll see it make an impact as, as we need it to. First is to be prepared. Be prepared. And what I mean by that is prepare for future assault. Mason, who's just went through, he went through basic, he went through this other training, and I know without being any type of military myself, I know what every new recruit and every person in every branch of the military hears is the importance of being prepared. And you're preparing for future assault that you hope will never happen, that will never occur, but you're prepared for it nonetheless. And the same is true in the Christian life, and the same is true specifically in this battle, the battle of depression. We need to be prepared for future assault. We can't just float along as if it's never going to happen again if it's already happened. Or like you're going to just always be immune to it if you've never experienced something like depression. I'm glad you haven't, but I'm telling you there will come a time where you will experience it in some way, shape, or form. So we need to be prepared for the future assault of it. How do we do that? First, we need to make it a habit. A habit is something you do regularly, ongoing, consistently, right? We need to make it a habit to regularly ask the Holy Spirit to apply promises of his word. Promises like Philippians 4.7. That's a great one. I love Philippians 4.7. Probably one of the most powerful, if not the most powerful promises Um, related to this kind of concept that you can find. Ask him to give you the peace of God, which surpasses all human understanding, and to guard your heart and mind with it, with that peace in Christ Jesus. That's what Philippians 4, 7 says. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You need to believe it. You need to quote it. I mean, and pray that back to the Holy Spirit. Pray his word to him. He loves that. He delights when he hears his word in your prayer. Make that a habit. Also, make it a habit to memorize specific scripture on depression. 
such as Philippians 4.7. There's many others. Look, do a Bible study. It won't take you long. Or do a Google search for scriptures dealing with depression and start memorizing them and, and copy them down and place them strategically around your house. That way you have an arsenal to draw from in your attack against that which is attacking you. And you have that to apply when you are hit with depression again. And as you do that, I promise you, you'll find that the Holy Spirit helps you recall those things, those verses to your mind when the need arises. He'll do it every time. Second part of a good strategy to develop is to be accountable. Be accountable. And by that I mean you need to surround yourself with a network made up of strong godly people that will love you well. And that means they won't ostracize you, they won't judge you or your struggle, but it also means, and catch this part, this is very important, this also means if you've got the right network around you, they won't judge you, they won't treat you harshly, but it also means they will keep bringing you to God. They will not just leave you in your misery to wallow around in it. They will keep bringing you to God. They'll keep speaking his truth and hope into your life. It's very important. This network also needs to be made up of people who won't be afraid to tell you when it's time to get some specific professional guidance and help in the form of wise, professional, preferably biblical, if at all possible, counselors or maybe even medical help as well. But hopefully that goes first through the avenue of those professional counselors who know more than even your, your friends and family around you who can determine whether or not it is time to go the route of medicine or something else. See, they're willing to make those hard calls on your behalf because they love you well. That's what that means. And thankfully... We have just such a person as hopefully that network of people might refer you to and tell you to contact and tell you to make an appointment with and to try to talk with. We have a couple of people actually in our congregation uh, that are very qualified in that way. And one of them is going to come right now is Hamlet Smith. Everybody give Hamlet a round of applause. They love you. I know, yeah. How could they not, right? Right. Hamlet, in addition to being um, a member of the church here, is the director of Life Strategies Counseling, which is on uh, Harper Road as a base of operation, right? Yes, sir. And Hamlet, you have been the director of Life Strategies for 20-something? Something. Okay. And you've been a therapist for like 30, something like that? Too long. Yeah, well, um, Hamlet has not only the direct um, experience to offer, but you have a great team. Oh, my goodness. Right, one of them is Nancy Carlson, who's here in the back there. You can just wave for us, Nancy. She's a therapist there. Um, She's awesome. Yeah, and a lot of other people. I mean, I was privileged to be Hamlet's office manager for a while and uh, got to know some of those therapists who some of them are not there anymore, but um, the ones that are still there and the ones that were, I mean, they're just solid people. And Hamlet, I know you deal with this concept a lot. Yes, sir. 
And uh, so I wanted to just ask you just briefly a few questions from your perspective that can act as kind of a maybe a practical um, uh, source of wisdom and of encouragement based on what I just talked about from my perspective um, on this topic. So in your experience, what would you say is um, a common misunderstanding with depression? Well, especially in the religious community. I mean, I think the religious community botches this really bad. You know, I think we, we think that it's a lack of faith. We think that it's, um, you know, just sin, which it can be. I'm, I'm not saying it's not sin. It can be that for sure. But, you know, I think, I think we botch that a lot of times in the religious community. And, you know, I, I guess, I, I guess um, what I would replace that with is read the Bible. <laughs> yeah. You know, read Job, read Psalms, <laughs> read some of that stuff where people, you know, are... Read Elijah. He calls fire from heaven down and he wants to die. <laughs> yeah. Read Moses. I mean, it's, it's, it's a troubling thing. Depression is a troubling thing for sure, but I don't necessarily think it has to be sin-oriented. Mm. I don't think it has to be you, you don't have enough faith, blah, blah, blah. So find a... Find a, an objective understanding. Yeah, and, I think so. And start, and the Word of God is where you start, right? Right, absolutely. All right, well, kind of along with that, dovetailing from that, why is there, in your opinion uh, and experience, why is there often a stigma, which I think we can all, we would all agree with is present, a stigma within the church, the, the overall church, in regard to depression and the things that come from that? Well, my back hurts all the time, and my knee hurts, and I don't like it. I'm a, I'm got some pride in my soul. I know I do, and I try to stand up straight, but it hurts so bad. And so I think that's what we do. I think that's what we do with depression. I think that's what we do with anxiety. I think we try to hide that beyond the facade that we're doing fine. Hmm. You know, people ask me, "How's your back?" and I'm thinking, "Shut up." <laughs> I don't want to talk to you about my yeah. back. You said that to me this morning, by the way. <laughs> Probably did. Really hurt. I'm depressed now. <laughs> okay. I know a guy. Yeah. Yeah. So pride, fear, maybe? Yeah, pride, fear. I mean, you know, who wants to admit that they have flaws? I don't want to admit that I have flaws. Mm. I mean, I've got the same problem that everybody else has. Mm. You know, that I, that I am prideful. And, and um, But, you know, I think depression sometimes takes you to a place where you can't do anything else. Mm. You've got to get help. Mm. Um, and I think that's when you have to involve mental health professionals. I think, you know, I always tell people, go to your counselor at your school. Go to your pastor. Go to your youth pastor. Work things out. But if that doesn't work, mm. take that next step and get some professional help. Yeah, absolutely. It's very, very good advice. Um, all right, so the last question, and this is kind of a, a weighty one. Uh, I mean, this is a big one. What would you say uh, from your end of the world, uh, what can the church do better in our approach to depression and administering to those who do struggle with it, which is almost everybody? 
Right. So what can we do better? Well, my wife and I had this conversation yesterday, and she made the comment that we should be able to deal with this in the church, which is true, but then I wouldn't have a job, so <laughs> that kind of would stink. Um, no, I mean, I think we do have to get smarter about that. I do think we have to not give pat answers or blasé running through things. I think that's it's so easy to say, well, you just need to pray. And, and that's certainly true. I, I have no disagreement with that. And, and you should just read your Bible. Also true. But just giving those blasé answers crushes people. Yeah. And so I think we've got to have an honest conversation, which, by the way, I appreciate you um, having this honest conversation with us as a group. You know, I think we have to have honest conversations about where you know, what's going on. And let me just say, this is not a question you asked me, but I want to say this. Depression isn't necessarily the problem. Hmm. It's just like anything else. It's what it pushes you towards. If it pushes you towards bitterness, that's a problem. Hmm. If it pushes you towards God and better, you know, bitter or better, that's kind of my little Hmm. tagline there. If so if it pushes you towards God, it might really be a good thing in your life. Mm. You know, look at Job. You know, 50 chapters, 50 chapters of whining, nothing but whining. It's in the Bible. And bad advice, too, by the way, yes. from counselors yep. that he would have killed if he didn't like Job. So, you know, I think, I think depression isn't really the core issue. Okay. I think it's an issue, for sure, just like my stupid knee that I can't get to work right. Um, that's an issue, but does it make me a better person or a worse person? Mm. Of course, if you're around me, you'll probably hear me whine a little bit about my knee. But anyway, <laughs> you know, what does it push you to? And that's true of anything that happens in our life, whether it's good, virtue, or mm. vice. Mm. What does it push you to? And I think if it pushes you to God and the Word of God and to worship then it's a good thing. And if it pushes you away from that stuff, and, and I don't think we need to take ourselves too seriously. I think you've done some really good jobs here recently in messages that, you know, you, sometimes you just got to mess up really bad, mm. but God's grace is mm. there for you. So, you know, I don't think you have to do it all right. Mm. I mean, I used to think that, but I think I'm a little more enlightened <laughs> now. You know, you don't have to do it all right, but you do have to let whatever circumstance comes into your life push you Mm. to God. And that's the message we need to keep reminding one another of. That's Uh, what the church can do better, right? Yes. We can say, we're all in this together. We're all in the same state, really. We're all in the same shape. Let's let's forget. Yeah, well, that too. Let's let's stop trying to think we're not. Right. And uh, let's help one another be driven, like you're saying, towards the good, not away from it. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you, Hamlet. And uh, I assume uh, you are taking new clients, new patients at your facility. Is that right? Yes, at okay. our facility. All right. Excellent. All right. Thanks. Give, give Hamlet a round of applause. Don't ask him about his back. All right. Let's, um, let's end our time with, with prayer together uh, and uh, just commit all of this that we've heard today to the Lord, to his spirit. And for him to apply it to our hearts and lives the way he knows that uh, that needs to happen, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the relevance of it. Thank you that you do meet us right where we're at. You meet us at our lowest, but you don't leave us there. 
Thank you for always giving us everything we need to be pulled out of that. Help us keep looking to you. And help us to be willing to let you use even hard things like depression to drive us toward you. And Father, as you help us, please help us to be able to help others. Thank you for not giving up on us. Help us not to give up on one another. Thank you for the hope and the life and the joy that we always have available to us in Jesus. And I pray that if there is anyone here who has not yet committed their life to Jesus, that even what they heard today would finally bring them to that point of total surrender. I pray all of these things for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.